0: sarazawa has got that lizard juiced and welcome back to hot godzilla summer that's right five movies ten weeks the godzilla event of the summer supplemental reading series through zero credits my name as always is john and my name's henry and if you are a newcomer to Hot Godzilla Summer or the concept of supplemental readings, we here on Zero Credits will talk about a movie in its entirety, assuming you have seen it. So we will talk full spoilers, and we have been doing so for the Monst- Legendary Studios Monsterverse Godzilla movies for the past uh, five, some number of weeks. That's right, John. And this week, we are talking about 2019's Godzilla, King of the Monsters, directed and co-written by Michael Dougherty. Who is a huge, and I want to emphasize this, huge fan of the series. Uh, You mean Michael Dougherty is a huge fan of Godzilla, or a huge fan of zero credits? A huge fan of Godzilla. He does not know we exist as of yet. Yet, uh, but he may... No, after this i know nothing of michael doherty other than the fact that he directed krampus which was okay
1: right so a lot of the decisions behind the scenes um (laughs) i i i read through approximately one-tenth of the very very intense trivia page in imdb just looking to see if that that in fact is the cabin from uh, I the cabin that Iron Man lives in an Endgame, uh, but I couldn't I couldn't verify that. What I did find was that so many decisions John were almost made, but almost all of them were walked back for a more traditional take on everything.
0: There is a lot going on with this movie. This might be, if not the most divisive uh, installment of Hot Godzilla Summer uh also it won't be the most interesting but there's a lot of stuff we're going to talk about about this movie in general And i'm going to jump to one real quick because i know that we're both champing at the bit like champion racehorses to get this fact out of the way and i want to be the first one to say it is that okay
1: i don't know what fact it is i already dropped the bomb that that coach
0: taylor lives in the cabin that iron man lives in an end game That's a pretty big one, Uh, and I'm amazed you don't know this bit, but of course, this is the first Godzilla film, either by Toho or a Hollywood studio, uh, to be released during Japan's Reiwa Jidai uh, and the reign of Emperor Naruhito uh, after the end of the Heisei Jidai. Uh, So this is huge.
1: I'm, I'm lost, I don't know what that means.
0: So, uh, you know, Japan is typically broken up into eras based on who the emperor is.
1: Yeah, the emperor is a, a, still a thing.
0: Yeah, the emperor is still a thing. Current one is Naruhito. Uh, previous one was Akihito. And the Godzilla movies, if you didn't know this, are actually broken up in blocks, uh, like phases of a cinematic universe, by uh, which emperor they they have at the time. Okay, uh, so, so this is you'll you'll the... hear like Showa era uh Godzilla right. movies, Heisei era Godzilla movies, and uh starting in 2019, uh we entered the hold on Reiwa Jidai Reiwa era.
1: So this is the the inaugural, the first if you will, of the whole new era and maybe that's why the tone is completely different and weird and mm.
0: Yeah, there's there's a lot going on. Now, of course, there are some people who reasonably might walk this back and say that anything up to the release of Shin Godzilla uh, might actually be uh, within the Heisei Jidai. And now the Reiwa Jidai is like all the legendary monster-verse stuff, plus all the comic books, etc. Uh, but I don't know. There's a lot going on behind the scenes about classifying Godzilla movies that I don't truly understand.
1: Nor do I. I only usually talk about the, the text itself without bringing in any extra tidbits other than apparently bringing in IMDB for this one episode and the fact that that cabin that Coach Taylor lives in is the cabin that Iron Man lives in in game.
0: Uh, so, I is that true? Is this conjecture?
1: It is 100% the same cabin. It is shot from different angles. I... I um, and Endgame, it was all shot from the right, and this movie, it's all shot from the left. I don't know if that's on purpose, but it is absolutely the same cabin.
0: I mean, when did Endgame come out? can't have been 2019, so 2018, maybe? Uh, I think it was 2019. Okay. See, two movies this, uh, I don't know. Uh, that's boring. I don't want to... <laughs> Not your Hold fact on. is boring, but the thing I was gonna... The bit I was gonna do is boring.
1: Yeah, they both released in 2019. So in 2019... Two movies use the same cabin.
0: Big year for that cabin. Huge year for that cabin. Really big year. You know, I'm happy for that cabin.
1: All right. John, this movie starts out with a very strong choice. And uh, it's one that I want to talk just briefly about. Um, Because we, we briefly touched on this with the end of Kong Skull Island. The fact that that end credits scene with Tom Hiddleston and Brie Larson seem to be setting up characters that will carry through throughout the series. But the, that movie took place in the 1970s and the, the Godzilla movies take place in current de- current year. And so we literally can't carry over there's, these characters. So what does this movie do? It pulls a Zack Schneider's... Batman v Superman and shows characters involved in the climax of a previous film to introduce them.
0: <laughs> yes, a uh, very, very strong choice. Um
1: and it's very jarring. Like we you start out with Ford and friends, you know, skydiving, uh that that awesome paratroopers, you know, scene from the Godzilla 2014 movie but then you pull back to a very confused Coach Taylor whose actor name I do not know.
0: It's like Dr. Russell Brown or something. It's it's the most uh, not interesting name you can imagine. Right, it, and it's
1: him and his wife, and they're screaming, looking for their son, and they we cut away before they find him, and we draw the conclusion that that son is dead. It, it's, it's, and that sets up the motivations for Coach characters... <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think that's a fair representation of him as a character to call him Coach character.
1: That's uh, that's his mo- that's the motivation for his character for the rest of the film.
0: So uh, I don't know. I want to talk about uh, Coach Taylor. There's a few things I want to say about Coach Taylor. Um, number one, for, my for my criticism. You- oh yes, please.
1: For those of you who don't know, the actor who plays this character we're talking about also plays Coach Taylor from Friday Night Lights, which is a show about football in Texas. Uh, I don't know his actual name. Uh, Kyle Chandler. Kyle Chandler. Okay, well, Kyle, I'm going to call him Coach Taylor.
0: Yeah, I'm going to call him Coach Taylor throughout because uh, if you live in Texas, you have to call Kyle Chandler uh, Coach Taylor. I am fascinated by this character because a lot of things are brought into question. First of all, the first time I saw this movie, I was very confused because through the remainder of the movie, they're very aggrieved of their son, Andrew. But I thought he was walking through uh, the destroyed San Francisco yelling, Sandro? I was like, who's Sandro? Are we going to come back to (laughs) Sandro?
1: We're never going to get back to Sandro. Meanwhile, Andrew is
0: dead. Yeah, Andrew is is totally dead. Part of the uh I can I can appreciate the uh the limited moral gray areas this movie plays at by uh, just admitting that there's kind of acceptable unavoidable collateral damage when Godzilla is involved. And Godzilla didn't want to kill Sandra or Andrew. Uh but it just, you know, it it happens. Godzilla can't pick and choose. He's he's big and people are little.
1: Right, right. I, I mean, at this point, monsters have been real, which is a—it's um, <laughs> a line that finds its way into every one of these movies for some reason. They love putting this line, "monsters are real," into the into the movie. Um, People at this point
0: have to be really sick of news broadcasts saying (laughs) monsters are real. Because I feel like I've heard news broadcasts say that twice in these movies.
1: Yeah, it's not news anymore, newscasters. Um, We know. But what comes along with that
0: is just a a weird high tolerance for loss of life. (laughs) You just kind of have to be okay with with that being the case, because you're not going to avoid it. But the th- here's my question: so this happens. 2014's Godzilla actually takes place in 2014, I believe. It's like mentioned in in the movie, right. uh, or at least it's heavily implied. It However, is. so Kyle Chandler, Coach Taylor, and his wife lose their uh, son Andrew, and then you're led to believe that in the intervening time, either they became involved in Monarch and the study of monsters in the intervening time or were involved previously? I don't... Was I, That so, wasn't clear to me.
1: There, there's a throwaway line about the ecosystem that it was a grad school project. Mm. Which, mean, which means they went to a school that knew monsters existed, so it must have ties to Monarch but also must have been done before Godzilla attacked? No, that doesn't make any sense. That makes no
0: sense. I mean, Monarch kind of knew monsters existed, so maybe they like funded a grad school project. I don't know. The timelines in this movie, and there are a lot more examples of this that I could be more pedantic about, but let me hit you with one. The assumption, I guess, is that five years pass between... Andrew dying in San Francisco and then this happening. We have to assume that Coach Taylor, based on what he says and does, is basically an expert on monsters that no one knew anything about by this point because he he knows their patterns, he knows that radiation is Godzilla's thing, he knows what will bring Godzilla back to life. He's an expert.
1: Let let me back you up uh, because in in the five years in between San Francisco and Andrew – In the current events, Coach Taylor has exclusively been taking pictures of wolves.
0: Yes, which is my favorite line of the entire movie, because when it establishes uh, our new kind of protagonist or uh, ancillary protagonist, Millie Bobby Beanie, uh, when it introduces her, number one, you know she's cool because she's listening to the pixies and looking at pictures of wolves. And then they have to ruin it by showing that she's actually looking at pictures that uh, Coach Taylor took of wolves. And when she's talking to her mother about their now estranged father, uh, her mother replies, "Uh, let me see, he's in the safest place he can be, which implies surrounded by wolves.
1: (laughs) Yes. Um, He's part of the pack now. He takes their pictures. He posts them for them on their Facebooks because they don't have thumbs.
0: He finally has a friend group. It just happens (laughs) to be wolves. He takes
1: pictures of wolves. That is his credentials. That is his entire background as far as I'm concerned. But because he takes pictures of wolves, he knows how these monsters that nobody knew existed are going to act.
0: Yes, and and that is maybe one of the more problematic, one of the things that I hate most about this movie. Uh, That sounds like I don't quite like this movie at all. Uh, But the fact that it keeps relying on this, like, alpha language. Oh, describing yes. the behavior of monsters. Obviously, it's all theoretical. Monsters aren't real yet. Uh, I'll believe it when I hear it from a newscaster twice. Um, but the the fact that they keep coming back to this idea of an alpha uh, alphas, uh, I think I was reading this earlier. The guy who wrote the the wolves in captivity study that showed that alphas exist, his name is like Peter Schenkel. They proved that that's uh, complete bullshit, and what were perceived to be alphas in captivity are just what we as people would call parents. Right. right. Uh, uh, and the alpha thing is completely made up. They move in packs, but the packs are families, and the alphas are parents. And yes, there is social dominance, but there's social dominance that happens in every society, and it's not necessarily social dominance is tough because people can use that to excuse like alpha theory stuff, but social dominance just means killing or being a dick to people to take food. No one's born socially dominant. It changes all the time. You can like gain social dominance for a few minutes. It's not like a fucking alpha mindset two-hour music video, not music video, YouTube video, ASMR thing. Alpha stuff is bullshit. And I hate that it's all over this movie.
1: Yeah. And the thing about alphas is like, they would exist because resources are scarce, and to control, not control, ensure the survival of a population. So restricted breeding and stuff like that. But these monsters aren't breeding. There's no, there's no breeding going on. There's no need for alphas.
0: Well, I mean, I, this movie does have a lot of weird breeding stuff, but it's like, I don't think outside of the Mutos. There's really like reason to believe that titans, uh, as this movie calls them, uh, that they're really that breeding is really like a serious concern for them, considering things like Godzilla and Mothra appear to be essentially immortal.
1: Well, everybody, yeah, I, 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 I hear you. Um, the, the movie at one point does make reference to the alpha wolf thing, and I was just like, just sub in
0: lions, just uh, do sub like, in lions, like, or just don't even say like. Yeah. And say like this is the Godzilla signal, or this is—I don't know—the the Alpha thing is very lazy from a writing standpoint. Uh, I really don't like it. But back to my original point, this appears to be the thing that like happened over the intervening five years, and the thing that uh, is truly unbelievable—the th- the timelines in these movies—is we are meant to believe that Coach Taylor becomes an expert in these monsters slash wolves. And becomes the protagonist, which is totally unearned. Dr. Sarazawa should absolutely be the protagonist. Right. Why? It's, it's so dumb. Uh, but let if, me blow your looking. mind. Okay. This, this is the last time I'll talk about timelines in this movie because there's a lot of stuff. But you remember when Dr. Sarazawa was like, this is the watch that uh, stopped when they dropped the bombs on Hiroshima yeah. and Nagasaki right after I was born. Uh, assuming this movie takes place in uh 2019 he he's supposed to be like 75 or 76 i believe he's got some of that uh some of that mothra blood transfusions yeah he he got mothra blood on him and that's why he looks young i'm just saying it seems a little insulting to uh cast a very capable 58-year-old actor and say that he's like 76
1: you know pe- People play old, people play young. It's they, could the some,
0: they could have given him greys, I don't know. But I just think that's ridiculous.
1: So, so back to my point about how they started this movie. You're absolutely right that Serizawa should be the protagonist because he's a character we'll recognize from the first movie and you won't have to shoehorn in these characters who are affected by Godzilla and do the... the the whole, like, I hate this monster, but I'm going to begrudgingly help it
0: in the end kind of thing. Ugh. This is the whole thing, the whole point that I was making, the, the pre-hatred I was feeling watching Kong Skull Island, is these movies just don't respect characters we've seen go through shit. Like, they don't respect their characters. You could have had uh Anna Taylor-Joy, or whatever his name was, uh come back from the first Godzilla, or something... Anything, rather than being like, instead of the characters we care about, like Dr. Sarazawa, we'll just sub in this other guy. Right. We'll
1: we'll get Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things and Coach Taylor and I don't even know the mom's name. And they're going to be our main three. And also, here's Charles Dance.
0: Yes. uh, I think the mom is Vera Farmiga? Varmesia? I don't know that she's been in anything I've seen.
1: Yeah. We're going to bring in these new characters who are going to be integral to the plot. Because we need a through line. Because we can't just show Godzilla fighting monsters for some reason. Has anyone tried that? Has there been a movie that is just a monster fight? We haven't tried it. Let's
0: try it. Let's do just monster fights for once. I feel like this movie does get closer. I I don't know. I feel like there's a certain amount of, like, not brinksmanship, but, like, increasing maximalism that takes place in these movies where the monster fights become, like, a bigger and bigger thing. Like, monster fights obviously barely existed in 2014's Godzilla. Kind of more of a thing in Skull Island. Quite a bit of a thing uh, in in this movie. And I actually kind of appreciate uh, how overly dramatic... Uh, they're basically like weird anime fights in this movie which I definitely appreciate
1: oh yeah yeah Super Saiyan Godzilla at the end of the
0: movie is, is a huge oh, it's really great don't even talk to me about Super Saiyan Godzilla I, we'll save it for later I uh, it's uh, yeah um yes wolves I for some reason have a note that just says Charles Dance disrupts the worm uh <laughs> I think I'm referring to his eco-terrorist character showing up and uh, disrupting the Mothra ah. thing. Is that a thing about Mothra? I don't remember my my Mothra lore, that Mothra like, reincarnates over time. Uh, the only thing I really know about Mothra is that two tiny
1: women, twins if you will, who live in a clamshell, uh, sing and summon Mothra from an island to Japan.
0: They're, they're followers of Mothra. That is, uh, I, I definitely remember that. Also, interesting that it pretty solidly cements throughout this movie that there have been civilizations that worship giant monsters pretty much for the entirety of, of human existence, and yet for some reason they haven't remained a part of our culture. Yeah, they all get destroyed in the end by something or other. Yeah, I uh, except uh, Kong's people. Kong's people, I guess they're uh, they're secluded, and no one has ever gone back to Skull Island for any reason. Yeah, I guess so.
1: Yeah, um, that that was a note from the director. It's you know, Mothra historically has had a society built around her, and Kong has its his society, and so the the flooded city that they have to navigate to where Godzilla retreats. To is Godzilla's society that's just been flooded for some reason?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's architecture down there, and he you knows to return because he was worshipped like a god there at some point in the past. Yep, and apparently the body of Angiras is down there. Oh, really? I didn't see it. Yeah, apparently I didn't see it. I don't know. Yeah, I I, I did not see that either. I mean, yeah. I think it's I don't know that there's going to be much space to talk about this uh throughout our conversation about the movie but i would like to say as far as these movies go if we're talking about them holistically uh music in this one is like far and away the the best because a lot of it i think the music is uh, largely done by bear mccreary who's done multiple things including like the um What's the word? Battlestar Galactica soundtrack that was incredible. But a lot of it includes samples of or just uh straight renditions of the original music composed by Akira Ikufube, who did right. the music for the majority of the Showa era Godzilla movies.
1: Yeah, yeah, like you could definitely tell when Mothra shows up, like the the song that plays is definitely like Mothra's theme or rendition or borrowing elements from that. Um, so yeah, he, the, yeah. Okay. I definitely appreciate the nods. I, I didn't notice the music as much, um, so I can't really comment on it.
0: I think that, uh, speaking back to the Dr. Serizawa thing, that this might be the first time that I've so viscerally felt um, probably what a lot of my uh, female uh, colleagues and colleagues who are people of color have felt, uh, probably for the entirety of their professional careers, which is uh, seeing a very capable, uh, engaging person completely get walked all over by a white man without qualifications who, for some reason, everyone seems to care about. It's really irritating having watched these movies in short succession Uh, seeing Dr. Sarazawa and how cool and engaging he is, and then just see everyone pay attention to everything Coach Taylor says, even though Dr. Sarazawa says all the same stuff.
1: Yeah, no, it's a point that we noticed while watching. It's just like, why do they keep listening to Coach Taylor? And I've written multiple times,
0: in all caps, I take pictures of wolves, (laughs) therefore I know monsters. Yeah, Dr. Serizawa studied Titans his entire life, has a yeah. strong connection to them uh, back to his birth, has a strong thematic connection uh, to the origins of Godzilla as a concept in our culture, and yet he's like a C-tier character in this movie. And, and like to even throw further frustration, in the opening scene with the, the
1: government hearing for Monarch, You know, we've got Sirizawa, who's been a through-line for us. He's in the first movie, and now he's in this movie. And, you know, we know Monarch. We're familiar with them from the other two movies. But the first person who speaks for Monarch in this movie is not Dr. Sirizawa, who would be the most esteemed person to try to defend it. No, it's Thomas Middleditch who is in this movie for no reason.
0: Brand new character, Thomas Middleditch. Even, I, I believe that there was a hearing in the original Godzilla that Saruzawa was present for and speaking for not the entirety of, but but defending Monarch uh, in front of like a congressional hearing in the first movie. But no, Thomas Middleditch. Yeah. And I, I don't want any smoke with Thomas Middleditch. I. I quite like Thomas Middleditch. Middleditch and Schwartz—it's good stuff. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if he's a problem though. If if popular uh, opinion is turned on him, um, let me know.
1: I don't want to. I don't want to comment on it. Apparently, he's. I don't
0: want to comment on it. Uh, uh, from my no, understanding of Thomas Middleditch, I don't know if he's a good guy. I don't personally have a problem with him. I'll read those things later and then possibly uh, change my mind. But a totally unnecessary addition to the movie yeah. in every way.
1: His character serves no purpose in this movie, none whatsoever. Like if you're already adding a, an average wolf picture taking white guy,
0: we don't need a white guy who does nothing. It's like they saw Pacific Rim and how they put Charlie Day in it, but Charlie Day like added to the movie and was kind of a highlight and they're like we should also uh get like a, a comedian in here to play a position of a bureaucrat, except the two things he does is he kind of makes a, the first scene he's in is kind of a joke with the Titan mating thing. And then he like receives Sarah's Zawa's journal after he heroically sacrifices himself. And that's pretty much it.
1: Yeah. He's there for coach Taylor to glare at anytime
0: coach Taylor's wife comes up. And I I mean, I could totally, I'm not going to talk about future movies we'll, we'll uh, talk about in the series, but I thought it would be interesting seeing this movie for the first time, because full disclosure, this is like the fifth or sixth time I've seen this movie okay uh through pure co- uh coincidence but i thought like hey if thomas middleditch's character is here to show the inanity of bureaucracy in the face of uh the world changing and the discovery of monsters that might be interesting that's not what he's there for he's just there to kind of make some half jokes he's not that's even it. the funniest person in the movie uh no uh, the funniest, he's not yeah. even uh, Get Out Dad. Yeah, the
1: funniest person in the movie is the dad from Get Out. We should really learn people's names.
0: Uh, Bradley Whitford. Bradley Whitford, yes. He, I, however, I will not, refer to him as Dean Armitage, which is his name in Get Out, uh, to keep with the Coach <laughs> Taylor thing. Um, and he's not even that funny. He's just like, oh, a scientist with some
1: actual personality for once.
0: Yeah. Uh, which, by saw- the way, we might not talk about this character a lot, and this is unfair, but when they're going to Godzilla's underground lair that is irradiated, uh, which is something we don't talk about a lot, Godzilla himself should be, like, really radi- radioactive. Like uh, oh, I, don't, yeah, I don't know where they think so- radiation comes from, but a lot of people are just around Godzilla and what? assume they're fine. And Mothra. Like, they touch they touch Mothra. <laughs> They, they, all of these, they, all be, of these people have cancer. The it's a very interesting relationship with uh, radiation because as they're piloting their like submarine thing to Godzilla's underground lair, what a sentence! By the way, in the hollow earth, <laughs> what a concept! Yep. Uh, Through the wormhole, the uh, Bradley Whitford, Dean Arbitage, uh, scientists says, hey, I don't want to get any closer. I want to have kids someday, preferably without flippers. And I don't mean to be cruel, but the dude's like 50. If he (laughs) has kids at this point, they're going to kind of have flippers no matter what. Yeah. um, Some degradation
1: has taken place. That line could have been easily rewritten. Like, I like all of
0: my skin where it is or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, very, also the, the fact that they were all. The fact that they had to send Sarazawa in. Uh, which we should probably talk about that because that's like the, the pivotal thing of the movie. Uh, but yeah, the fact that the... they had to send Sarah Zau in because they were afraid of radiation, and then they set off a nuke and they're close enough for the concussive force of a <laughs> nuclear weapon to propel them out of the sea. Every single person on that nuclear submarine, which is if it's a nuclear submarine, why'd they care about radiation? But if it's not appropriately like protected against radiation, all of them, their cells have been torn to pieces. Not only that, though, but they've just gone from so
1: many fathoms undersea to the surface
0: way too quickly to depressurize. So the entire sub just went... And then, moments later, they are, I'm going to say charitably... Uh, 200 yards away from Godzilla when he surfaces and then shoots a, shoots a radioactive laser into the atmosphere. everyone has cancer on that ship
1: Godzilla even like leans in a little bit like it lear- gets really close it's like I really <laughs> want you guys to know you're irradiated now.
0: My favorite shot of the entire movie is after Godzilla looks does that, and then Godzilla looks at them, and it's tough for Godzilla to look threatening, and then there is a dramatic rack zoom into Godzilla's face as like his little eyebrows <laughs> point down and he looks angry. Uh, it's, it's very funny. I love Godzilla's design, uh, but I do think it's very funny when they try to make him look mean. Right,
1: because everyone knows Godzilla's just a big old sweetie at heart.
0: Yeah, he's just got a little sweet face. Yeah, a little sweet face and huge ripped shoulders. Uh, yes, very important. Uh, he has short arms but ripped shoulders because he needs to do to do some stuff with. He swims with those, you know. He swim, yeah. He swims with his whole body. He's got a yeah. swimmer's bot. You gotta, you gotta got that swimmer's physique. But we should circle back
1: and talk about the <laughs> emotional crux the, the the emotional climax for this movie uh Sirizawa's sacrifice to heal Godzilla
0: quickie quick quick <laughs> heal Godzilla quickie to heal him up quickie uh yes that is I we spend a lot of time talking about this in 2014's Godzilla the kind of lack of an emotional through-line, or, or like a statement or really a lack of the movie saying anything, considering the first Godzilla was a very like uh, politically powerful piece that took like an environmentally conscious stance on a stance against nuclear weapons. It was a shame that you know the first uh, Godzilla movie had none of that whatsoever. This one actually starts to develop what I think is uh, the only instance of like a moral standpoint for these movies and that the Titans kind of seem, to be like revenge for climate change or just generally uh, humans being shitty, I guess. Humans uh, are the virus. Humans are the virus. And then that's, I think, walked back a little bit for Sarazawa's uh, ultimate sacrifice, because uh, I think what they're trying to communicate uh, with Sarah sacrifice sacrifices, him coming to a certain amount of, of peace with him considering Godzilla to be like, uh, A natural uh, something that would like follow the proliferation of nuclear arms like his his search for Godzilla was maybe a search for meaning in the in the hateful, cruel actions of of humankind to kill that many innocent people uh, in the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So like hugely emotional thing that happens, which happens basically for no reason.
1: Well, I, yeah, I, I mean, it's a really, really emotional, heartfelt moment. I really don't know what it says at large, um, but it's, it's finally like a human moment that's not yelling solutions at screens about wolves. Like it, it, Nowhere so far other than a, the brief moment of like, we got to save Kong, that Brie Larson and Thomas, yeah, no, that's not his name. <laughs> Thomas Middleditch what's his name loki todd todd
0: oh tom uh, tom hiddleston tom
1: tom hiddleston they share a moment where like we got to save kong um but it, this is finally like let's get some emotion through humans about these monsters woven in and the, the entire time sheraz has been on the screen he's like let them fight this is the natural order it's their world we'll be god you know we'll be pets of godzilla like this is this is how it's supposed to be. He is literally the
0: only worshiper of Godzilla in the movie. Yeah. He's the only – it's it's interesting to me that these movies – uh, I think the through line really becomes clear in this movie uh, is they're saying humankind's need to be okay being subservient to things. Yeah. Uh, this this movie, if it's anything, is showing humankind in decline and accepting that they are no longer the dominant species. I mean, literally, the movies say that. I can't say it's like subtext when literally Sarazawa has been saying that uh, the entire time. Uh, to me, as someone who who loves Sarazawa and Ken Watanabe's uh, portrayal of him, uh, I did find it uh, really emotional uh, what happens, but I don't understand the necessity of it and i don't know that it adds anything to what these movies could be well, trying to say let's back up a bit then
1: i, I guess but we'll try to try, try to examine it in context um so before this godzilla and excuse me i'm having a mental breakdown that's fine king Ghidorah. yes yeah Godzilla and King Ghidorah are fighting. Um, this is And Rodan is there. It's... Why is it? Oh, whatever. <laughs> Listen, Rodan... Let's back he's, up. He's around. Let's back up. The bioterrorists have let King Ghidorah out. King Ghidorah is going to use the, the, the monsters to destroy the world and not restore balance. Because he's malicious and evil. Which is in, perfectly in line with his character. Yeah,
0: Kind of and, weird that their whole thing... The reason why they're saying that King Ghidorah would do something like that is that he's from another planet and thus has no stake in in the Earth continuing its current state. I don't know. Uh, that feels kind of icky because a lot of movies have used that to be like anti-refugee. I'm not saying that King oh, Ghidorah is like a stand-in okay. for refugees. It just feels... I don't know, any American movie that's like, it came from a different place, so it wants to destroy the way things are. It just feels weird, you know? Well, we can't all be Superman stories. You're right. We can't all say that things that came from different
1: places are good. Um, So yeah, they're fight, Godzilla is fighting King Ghidorah and losing. And uh, regardless of what the actual status of the fight is, uh, the Admiral from the first movie contacts Monarch to let them know The Oxygen Destroyer has been deployed to kill both of these monsters.
0: Which is, the Oxygen Destroyer is the only thing, canonically, dating back to the first uh, Godzilla in 1954 that has killed Godzilla. The Oxygen Destroyer is a known thing within Godzilla movies. Right, it is a, a weapon more fierce
1: than the atomic bomb, which Godzilla originally Sort of was a stand-in for, or the results of the bomb, stand-in for that. Um, but it, it represented the escalation of weaponry and just the horrors that to destroy something horrible, sometimes you need something more horrific, and is the price worth the cost? Exactly. Uh, like is
0: it is it worth to kill? Is it worth it to kill Godzilla if we put within the hands of people something that can just willingly take the life away from anything? Right. And in this
1: movie, it's dropped for no reason. It's yes. It's it, no consequence. it dropped
0: consequenceless, other than it, the fact that it puts Godzilla to sleep. It's called the uh, the, the
1: Oxygen Destroyer. Uh, the, the city that it was deployed by was already wiped out by a giant fire pterodactyl. All of those people are probably dead. I whoa, mean, whoa, whoa, whoa,
0: Henry. You, I think you're forgetting. Upwards of 20 fish might have died. <laughs> You're right. I'm sorry. The
1: lives of twenty fish I have taken in vain. Yes, twenty fish might have died. Um but that that knocked Godzilla out and Godzilla retreated to his underwater temple and uh where, where there's a lot of radiation leaking from um the center of the earth. Is that where radiation is found? <laughs>
0: I see the my my read on it. I'm well so obviously confused. that's not where radiation is found, because hollow The Hollow Earth. Uh, There's no core. Apparently not. Uh, The core is a myth uh, if these movies teach us anything. But my read was like, hey, Godzilla's really fucking radioactive, which is why they wouldn't want to go any closer. But then obviously we've established at this point that either people are willfully ignorant of Godzilla's inherent radioactivity or it's just not a thing.
1: Yeah. And so Godzilla is healing in this chamber and could heal... Completely, but it might take a while, and we really need him now. Uh-huh. So that's why Serizawa has to go detonate a nuclear ordnance bomb. Also, the torpedo launcher got damaged in the crash from the wormhole. It all makes sense in context. Now, what does it mean? Nothing.
0: <laughs> it, it means absolutely nothing. They make him say goodbye, old friend, which is is emotional in that Serizawa's lifelong pursuit has been trying to understand Godzilla. Yeah. He's the Godzilla guy. but the, the, like, th- the, the fact that they have a character whose existence in the movies is predicated on uh, having pathos related to the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the genesis of the idea of Godzilla, the, the fact that they have this character like walked into a situation where he has to sacrifice himself after the oxygen destroyer has been deployed. As at best a minor plot point, uh, I don't know the the whole sequence kind of shits. I think on yeah. everything Godzilla movies are about, and that and like it's a
1: really great powerful moment, but it means nothing even for Sirizawa. He, This character has had no arc. He, he's believed in Godzilla. And he's believed in Godzilla. He's been right about Godzilla every step of the way, and no one has ever listened to him. Yes, and now he, and now he's going to sacrifice himself to bring back the thing he's believed in this entire time, and it works, and it's great, and it feels good watching it in the movie. Like that is a that it's it's a quiet, tearful, fist pumping moment where where he says goodbye, old friend, and you can kind of feel the weight of the history of him having studied Godzilla from afar and now finally getting to see him up close. And Godzilla even looks at him like, well,
0: Godzilla kind of looks
1: at him like, what the fuck are you doing here?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if there's anything we can learn from this, Godzilla ha- doesn't really know how to differentiate, like, people, which is yeah. fair. It, it's like someone looking at ants being like, that ant is uh, Fred, and that ant yeah. is George, and that's who they are. Yeah, I, it, it ultimately
1: it's a moment that feels great watching it and it's done in a powerful way the cinematography and the music and everything is is it's like they're all all of that is executing on on you know level 11 levels but when you zoom out it, it's just like we're, you're not saying anything it's just you're you're boiling these movies that have that are ostensibly monster battle movies with a greater message down to just spectacle which I think and feel is kind of the worst crime you can pull with a Godzilla movie
0: I mean for it's a double-edged sword right or two sides of a coin because on on one side Godzilla movies gave us uh large monster movies for the sake of spectacle but they also gave us large monster movies that had a fucking point. And in my book, I think what happens to Sarazawa is insulting because I don't know, you can't, in my mind, in good conscience, have a Godzilla movie which is owed in its entirety to the people of Japan and the unique, horrifying struggles (laughs) that they have been put through within the last hundred years. Like that Godzilla wouldn't exist without the the unique struggles. Uh, that have been imposed on the Japanese people over the last 100 years by the United States of America. So you can't have a Godzilla movie where you take the one character whose, like, one defining feature is being a stand-in for the things we did to Japan and then kill him for no reason. It's really gross.
1: Yeah, and... Especially when you're already – you've already set up a different character to make the same sacrifice and you didn't do it. Um, Because let's examine Coach Taylor's character again. Oh, he would have been so much better to sacrifice. Right. Yeah. The beginning of the movie, he set up – Andrew, his son, is killed by Godzilla. It ruins his marriage. Ruins his life. And he hates these monsters. He wants to kill them in every turn. He's like, why are you studying them? They need to die. They need to be killed. And then he gradually comes over to the side of like, we need to save Godzilla because Godzilla's our only hope. And to submit that point, I'm going to sacrifice myself to bring him back. Would have completed his character arc r- rather than continuing Coach Taylor being alive
0: to serve no purpose. I mean, you're 100% right, because his character exists to be a counterpoint to Zarazawa's point of humanity needs to be comfortable being number two to these things. We need to cede our place, our perceived place, at the proverbial top of the food chain on this planet to beings older, greater, and more powerful than us. So if his arc had been... It would be perfect because he was wronged by Godzilla and he would eventually realize, yes, we don't have to be subservient to Godzilla. We can actually work in concert with these things, understanding that we want the world to return to what it was. We want to protect the world in the exact same way, granted different motivations, because what follows that is you know, the second most emotional part of the movie, the whole for Sarazawa thing, when the American military is on Godzilla's side because they realize that he wants the same things they do. To kill Sarazawa for that means nothing, but to kill Coach Taylor for that is great. And if at the end right. of this movie he and his wife had both died, uh, submitting the things they cared about for the this new world order where the titans are at the top then you could have a movie where like millie bobby brown is the protagonist and it would be earned yeah absolutely
1: absolutely yeah because yeah uh, you know the the mom the wife has to die because she was wrong um you have to atone for the wrong that you've done and she awoke a monster that awoke all the other monsters that was nearly going to destroy the world. So yeah, you have to pay. And like, she does it in the right way where like, I'm going to distract to let people go free. I'm going to sacrifice myself and give myself up, which is not something you typically see from, uh, from woman characters. So I, I, like I applauded and I accepted and I want more of it. Let's balance out the amount of like sacrificing your life for family. That's done by both genders just to equalize it just a little bit. Um, but if Coach Taylor had also sacrificed himself on an idealistic level to, to to show the ultimate acceptance of, like, yes, Godzilla is is more important than anything, and more important than any of us, you would have a perfect movie. And you would set up Millie Bobby Brown to be a completely different character in a sequel. She might be on the same side as her dad was, you know, like, these monsters took everything from me. And that might give her more purpose in a
0: sequel. We're not going to talk about it now, but yeah, we'll talk about it later. Uh, but I mean it would be so perfect because both of them stand on the two diametrically opposed wrong sides of how to treat the the natural order uh kind of erasing humans from their place of importance because you have Coach Taylor who believes these things shouldn't exist. We should eradicate them. His arc could turn into, we need to work in concert with them. I now understand. And then his wife's whole thing and Charles Dance by extension, their whole thing is humanity knows better than these monsters and can use them to, to fix the world. We can use technology to control them to our aims so if both of those characters had died atoning for their misunderstandings of humankind's relationship with the natural world then that would be perfect that would be great yeah but of course we know in upcoming movies of course the character of coach taylor is used immaculately and we're all glad that he's alive oh yeah exactly
1: and i'm sure there's you know nobody at wb stepped up and said you know you can't create an orphan
0: you can't create an orphan and you can't kill a white man. Are there any oh, characters no. Are there any characters who look different from a white man with dark hair we can kill? No. Well we can't kill the get out dad. <laughs> People <laughs> love him and you know he's white.
1: I mean speaking of weird treatment of death, um the lady from Shape of Water Is crunched to death. Yes. (laughs) And no one comments on it. And no one mourns her. But when Godzilla is hit by a missile, the movie pauses to to show everyone like mournful and sad. And it's just like, wow, how how little do humans actually (laughs) mean?
0: Yeah, it's it's so, it's fascinating that Sally Hawkins is just, Sally Hawkins, a character we came to know from 2014's Godzilla, just gone. <laughs> unceremoniously killed with like barely,
1: I think there's a split second shot of, of Ken Watanabe's, you know, sorrowful, shocked face. And then that's the only comment on her death for the rest of the movie.
0: Yes, uh, two-time Academy Award nominee, Sally Hawkins, uh, smooshed to death to, yeah. to, to limited fanfare. And
1: it's just uh, it,
0: crazy. This, it's crazy this franchise, though, we can't let it off the hook. It killed Juliette Binoche in the first ten minutes of the first movie. So it doesn't know how to handle its talent.
1: But at least that affected Brian Cranston's character for the
0: rest of his life. Yes, for the rest of his life, which, hold on, let me check, was another ten minutes of the movie. <laughs> but it also affected this Ford's series fun. had Brian Cranston and Juliet Benoche <laughs> killed them both in the first twenty minutes of the movie. Nothing. It had a sequel to that movie that had uh, John C. Riley, uh, Tom Hiddleston, John Goodman, Samuel Jackson, Eugene Cordero, Mark Evan Jackson, tons of talent, never again. I want you to look at the This way movie from... had Hold Ken on. Watanabe in it.
1: I want Dad. you to look at the way Look at the waveform. When you said Samuel L.
0: Jackson, your mic spiked. <laughs> I think. <laughs> Look at that. I think it's programmed to do that. Yes. Um, the series it, it hires
1: <laughs> legendary, really great actors and kills them with no
0: ceremony.
1: It's no... a
0: masterclass in squandering. It really is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it doesn't make any sense it's you you kill millions of people per movie except for skull island that only killed dozens yes that only only killed killed dozens of highly
0: skilled actors
1: Uh, you kill millions of people per movie and you don't even mourn the famous ones what (laughs) what
0: what are you trying to say wb the the people at wb they they had a list of people in front of them like you know of a talent pool that has Juliette Binoche, Brian Cranston, Samuel Jackson, John C. Riley, John Goodman, Tom Hiddleston. Uh, what we really want is we want our third movie uh, to really be pulled by Coach Taylor from Friday Night Lights, the dad from Get Out, and uh, the lead guy from Silicon Valley. We really right. want those characters uh, to to really show out in the third movie. Th- that's it's- who
1: we can afford.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that might have been the calculus. They saw Juliette, Binoche, Bryan Cranston. Like, yeah, we can afford you for like 20, 20 minutes tops. Right,
1: right. That, you know, that, that'll be $5 a piece. All right, so we can afford that. We Got to do a lot of CGI. So let's focus on, I don't know, the guy who kind of looks
0: like Anya Taylor-Joy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't... Now, you know who we can afford for an entire fucking movie in the height of his career? Charles Dance.
1: Yes. Charles Dance. I want to applaud him because um, he's in this movie. His character has no importance. <laughs> his,
0: character... <laughs> his character is completely tertiary uh, yeah. to Coach Taylor's wife. The only thing Charles Dance is around for is to uh, act his ass off, which Charles Dance, you can, you call Charles Dance up, he'll do the job and he'll do good work. Um, but it's just to facilitate uh, coach Taylor's wife and that's it. Uh, he's there to give her lectures. <laughs> <laughs> he's there to he, give her <laughs> lectures and there. also four or five times say a line that sounds like Charles dance has, <laughs> is in the movie and not his character which yeah. is really good like the <laughs> there's a point. Where they're supposed to be confused about who went to Fenway and start using the orc. And he's like, oh, I wonder who did that. Now,
1: I, okay, I want to talk about the scene. Because in a, in a previous scene, uh, the, the doctor lady. <laughs> what's her name? Who knows? Uh,
0: Vera Formigia, Formiga.
1: Yeah, she proposes using uh, the device. And he says, if you use that, our location is given away And and we'll be, you know, destroyed, we'll be killed, they'll all be drawn to us. He then just walks away and doesn't suggest locking it up or putting it away or confiscating it himself so no one is tempted it. He just simply walks away. Then like 10 minutes later, it's gone. And he walks back in and he's like, I wonder who could have done that if only if only someone would have thought of locking it up. And like he's passive aggressive to a degree that's like, Well, why didn't you pick it up and bring it to a different room,
0: Charles Dance? The only thing Charles Dance ever does is he shoots that one guy in the head, and then I guess he buys a Geeter ahead at the end of this. But those yeah. are pretty much the two things that he does. I want to jump back a little bit to Vera Farmiga, Farmiga, uh, in that I just discovered an interview with her, and I think she might actually be the best part of this movie, because someone asked her uh, pre-release what her role in the movie is, and she said that she plays a kind of DJ for the monsters, (laughs) which is pretty funny. Uh, And then... Uh, when asked further about the movie, she says it has something to do with saving the environment, and it might pass the Bechdel test. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, she she's uh, she's like Jaws 4 Michael kane.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I can appreciate that. I can appreciate uh, that level of interview candor being like, I don't really remember. I think I was like a monster DJ, <laughs> and I think the movie passes the Bechdel test, but I'm not sure. I
1: do want to shout out Michael Doherty, Zach Shields, and Max... Um, what was his name? Borenstein? Borenstein. Because uh, they obviously watched the first Godzilla movie, picked up on bioacoustics, and then wrote it into every other line of the first 30 minutes of this movie.
0: <laughs> yes, every single thing is about bioacoustic. Which, which, by the way, I, I don't know... I know that a lot of our listeners tend to be like budding screenwriters, Uh, so (laughs) I just want to let you know, probably the best and strongest move you can make is to have your story revolve around some kind of electronic box. Yeah. The more that your plot can be focused on an inscrutable tablet with output that doesn't really mean anything, that people get really upset about, that's a strong story. Do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's good writing, and and that comes from me. I'm not even a writer, and I know what good writing is when I see it. Oh yeah, you you don't have
1: to be a writer to observe good writing.
0: Well, I I hope not. I mean, the only other thing you could do, probably the the only better thing in the world of screenwriting, is to like make some kind of a holographic map key that you can only find because you have a map dagger. <laughs> If you have, like, a dagger that somehow, um, if you hold it up to the sun, which, by the way, you can look at the sun from so many different angles and different places on a planet. Uh, So many planets can have different suns. Different suns, uh, different rotational periods, different shapes. Uh, But if you hold it at that specific way, for some reason, it perfectly shows you uh, where the weird map fragment is that's explained in the first 5 minutes and never explained again. Mm. That's probably the only better form of storytelling mm. you can have than having your entire movie based on a stupid fucking iPad.
1: Mm. All right, we we we've nitpicked this movie to death. Let's talk about what we liked.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm I'm perfectly Yo, happy talking about it. what I liked.
1: Monster designs knocked out of the fucking park.
0: Oh, this movie, for all of our hours worth of nitpicks, uh, this movie really fucking loves the monsters they had the rights oh, yeah. to. I love the design of Mothra. I love that Mothra's wings are supposed to be like uh, butterfly mimic designs of Godzilla's eyes.
1: Yes. Yes. To link them together thematically.
0: It's it's super cool. Love Rodan's design. Love the incorporation oh, of geez. fire and ash into Rodan's yeah. design.
1: Huge improvement of Rodan, who was just – look, a giant flying pterodactyl who can shoot energy beams is terrifying enough. Let's add the fact that now it bleeds fire and and like has ash and fire coming because it lives in a fucking volcano and has the intelligence to do a barrel roll to knock – it. How would you? I would not want to be a pilot in this universe.
0: No, pilots get the short end of the stick unless they're directly being led by Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, But Rodan's design is great. Uh, Even the original legendary monster verse, your behemoths and your whatever else the fucks, the mutos, good designs. We, We talked about how good the mutos were before.
1: Yeah, the MUTOs were good. Um, There's a MUTO head in the the, uh, Castle Bravo, which is interesting. And then another MUTO shows up at the end. Um, It's
0: a good continuation there. And then King Ghidorah. Oh, shut up. Get out of town. Best part of this movie is King Ghidorah. Like, it's not even, not even a question. Best part of the
1: whole movie is Ghidorah.
0: It's... I could spend so much time talking about there's a screen that shows up for King Ghidorah that like shows like intellectual capacity <laughs> for one second it shows middle head is 100% left head is 73rd head is is like 30% and it's a dummy the characterization of Ghidorah's heads really interesting is like electricity breath weapon thing so cool so oh, scary yeah. the introduction of King Ghidorah rocks I have a note that says I hate to admit it Ghidorah rules
1: and the fact that Ghidorah is is purposefully malicious and cruel and kills for fun and spite whereas all of the other monsters kind of kill as, as consequence of being that large no Ghidorah is just evil
0: yeah, it, it shows Ghidorah, like, focus in on people specifically to kill them. And it does cruel things. You you can appreciate the that these movies have had, like, largely dumb but sometimes malevolently motivated monsters, specifically in this movie. But then you, you like, have King Ghidorah, who is cruel to a point that it seems like he understands humanity and how it operates and what he should do to, like, even... Uh, uh, Coach Taylor's uh, wife's character, like it's toying with her before it kills her. Yeah, so, King Ghidorah. The Ghidorah, fact that Ghidorah. I don't know how to pronounce it. I always said f- Ghidorah, but I, that's when I was a child.
1: So in the uh, in the community, in the Godzilla community, the rightmost head, uh, the dumb head, if you will, has a nickname, and it's Kevin. <laughs> I love it. Oh. Uh, um, yeah, everything about the design and the characterization of the monsters is done so well. All of the monster parts, all of the monster battles are really, really done well to the point where I want more. Like, really, the final battle, which is supposed to be this all-out, knockdown, drag-out fight, is just a fight between Godzilla and King Ghidorah. And then Rodan and Mothra also have like a less than two-minute fight on the side. And it's like, no, they should all be interacting and trying to kill each other. And, and, you know, this should be like a cage match or a Royal Rumble, if you will. All of those other monsters should have shown up and contributed in some way or another. Like this should feel like destroying Godzilla Destroy All Monsters Melee on the GameCube.
0: I mean, the thing is, the director of this, Michael Dougherty. Before a lot of this got walked back, he literally said that he wanted this to be a, the essentially a remake of Destroy All Monsters. He wanted yeah. this to be a two-hour to three-hour-long knockdown, drag-out fight across tons of different Toho monsters. He wanted this to truly be a battle royale, where at the end, Godzilla was king of the monsters.
1: And instead we had to have all of this human stuff to frame it, which I, 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 we applauded that a bit in the first Godzilla and we applauded it in the Skull Island. But if you're going to name this movie, Godzilla King of the Monsters, I feel like that warrants more monster fights than wolf experts coming in and taking over command centers,
0: I mean, if we look at this film critically, the only good parts of it are well, I don't even think the Sarazawa sacrifice is good, to be honest. I with you. I, I will defend it. I I defend it and that's very emotionally powerful. I love Ken Watanabe and I love the acting they got out of Godzilla. And even watching it now, having seen this movie so many times, it, it choked me up. Uh but outside of that, the only good parts of this movie are everything involving monsters interacting with the world and each other. Which, to be clear, and this has been true of the last two movies as well, rules. There is a, there's a scene where King Ghidorah gets hit by the Oxygen Destroyer and his head breaks off, Kevin breaks off. Uh, and then he goes and grows a new Kevin. And then he roars in front of a red and yellow storm with a cross in the foreground. And that shot means nothing. But it rules so <laughs> hard. That yeah. shot is so cool. And Rule it means cool. nothing. It's a classic trope in movies for, like, a hitman to, like, pull out a, a gun in front of, like, a neon cross that says Jesus saves or whatever. It means nothing. But it's always cool. Yeah.
1: And like that, the the strengths of this movie are in the monsters, their, their design, their characterization and the monster fights like King Ghidorah coming up from the Arctic. And it's just other chaos and people running and scattering for their lives. And you don't even really get a clear picture of it until the very end when Godzilla rears up to fight it for the first time. All of that is done significantly well. Rodan's entire introduction is done significantly well. Even Mothra who doesn't really serve a purpose in this movie at all. It's it's
0: a shame because Mothra is probably the second most important character uh in in the like the large monster universe. Yeah, she's literally a god. Yeah, literally a god that can uh, reincarnate herself through eggs constantly, which is I don't know. Uh I had a I had a question when I watched this movie the first time like why do we assume that mothra and godzilla know each other when we see mothra hatch and the answer is of course uh mothra can reincarnate herself through the imago stage by laying an egg at the end of the movie they're like mothra egg discovered in in ruins of city so you know that like Mothra's going to be reincarnated R- mothra really only exists to sacrifice herself in a moment that five viewings of this movie and still kind of gets to me to, to see yeah. I don't know. The fact that Godzilla and Mothra have a relationship is weirdly powerful to me. Uh, I I don't know if you caught this. This is the first viewing where I saw this. You know those crazy uh, radioactive pulses that get thrown off of Super Saiyan Godzilla? Yeah. They're patterned after Mothra's wings. Like if you look at the big huh. radioactive pulses, Mothra's wings like show up behind Godzilla because he's empowered by the magic of a god which is Mothra. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. He he's Super Saiyan God um Godzilla.
0: <laughs> no, he's Super Saiyan God Zilla. Zilla. Yeah. Uh, they also have very similar
1: cries, which I think is why people link them together sometimes.
0: Yeah, it's just it's just so good. I'm so happy for them. Well, I'm sad that Mothra died, but she'll be back. She'll be back. We say that there's no more movies. She'll be back. Yeah, there's 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 no more movies. But uh, and, and yeah, speaking
1: of back. no more movies, way to set up Mecha
0: King Ghidorah, and then we you know no payoff. Absolutely, absolutely no payoff. Uh, we can't talk about future movies. Uh, but I know, man, but really, really sets up Mecha King Gaidora.
1: Yeah, Mecha King Gaidora uh, canonically has two robotic heads and one organic head. So you only need the one head. But yeah. no, no, yeah, we're not going to see it. Uh, we can't talk about future movies, but we're not going to see it.
0: We, we can't talk about future movies. Uh, real quick, though, I had a question for you because I don't remember this about the first 2014s Godzilla, and you may remember. Is this the first instance of the Wum Wum, Wum, Wum tale? <laughs> No, there was a wom wom tail in the first one, but okay. It, so it, like it, builds up the spines to the yeah like,
1: the wom 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 wom, which, which is, by the, is the way is the w- coolest thing that these movies do. Yes, yes, absolutely. It, like you know, each iteration of Godzilla, of course, uh, you know, honors the past and builds forward. The wom wom charge up the base of the the tail to the spine to the the head. That is that is Italian chef kiss perfection.
0: This movie really plays with the Godzilla system, which I enjoy. I love systems in movies. They're my favorite thing. Like, I don't know. Systems just make all movies better. So the fact that, like, you set this perceived visual baseline of how powerful Godzilla is by how charged up he is. And then you get Super Saiyan God, pause Zilla. Uh, By him being badly overcharged. And, like, I don't know, he glows through his scales and through his throat and chest. Like, his internal organs are just, like, (laughs) bursting with energy. He's (laughs) literally
1: melting steel and concrete around him.
0: It's. I think this movie does kind of a cardinal sin. I think it actually says Hail to the King twice, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Don't do that. But when... When uh, Coach Taylor's wife says "Hail to the King," and then it cuts away to show that the sheer fucking power of of Super Saiyan God Pa is melting cranes. Just rules, and the fact that they're oh, yeah. playing that like rock and roll version of sampled of sampled Akira Ikufube music just so cool, just so good. Minor critique. Uh, would have loved to see all that
1: power focused in a beam, uh, you know, like a one-one yeah. beam, and not just like mass explosions just from the center of Godzilla's being. Um, but I will accept it because it was still cool. I just you had the the, the opportunity to like just just do it like melt right through King Ghidorah's like body and like kill him dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but the eating of the head. <laughs>
0: this movie ends on Godzilla eating King Ghidorah's head, <laughs> and then blowing it up anyway.
1: Yeah, which is metal as hell. And then of uh, course Behemoth and the rest show up. Whatever.
0: It, it, it's super metal that eats the that eats King Ghidorah's head. However, if you were to posit a version of this movie where. Uh, Coach Taylor sacrifices himself. It's much more thematic and much better. I would say my big critique in my version of this movie is, uh, yes, you can have the payoff of the like sheer pulses of energy coming off of Godzilla, like melting Ghidorah's heads or whatever. And they like steps on his chest. I thought it just would have been cool if he, like huge breath weapon, blew off King Ghidorah's head or whatever, and then just left like a massive hole in the earth. I thought that would have been cool, because if we know anything from Dragon Ball Z, as we all do, yes, it's cool when characters have the move that's like a big shockwave around them, but it's so much cooler when it's a beam. Oh, it's so much cooler when it's a beam. Beams are just better.
1: Beams have intentionality
0: behind them. Because if if you see... Once again, best line of this entire movie is when Dean Armitage says, "Sarah Zawa's got that lizard juiced." When we <laughs> see, when we see the like pulsing with energy, red Godzilla, we want to see that beam. We want to see, see that, that red beam.
1: beam. That red beam. I mean, you, you, you teed it up, and then you you just didn't you didn't execute. And honestly, that's a big sin.
0: <laughs> it it just did. It, it's a big cinema sin. Uh, it yeah, just did the dang. American movie thing where they they sell you out of catharsis to give you a gotcha. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, eating the king geeter ahead was cool. I just, I don't know. It's a nitpick, but I just thought that beam would have been so much better.
1: Oh, yeah. I'm in complete 100% agreeance with you. Um, a beam at the end. Like, the pulses are cool to like knock them down, but then finish them off of a beam. It's the iconic the iconic Godzilla thing and the atomic breath and you've supercharged them. We expect to see super atomic breath. Like yeah. it's, it's like, I don't know what it's like, but we, you know, that it's a huge misstep. And the last huge misstep that this movie can make.
0: Yes. Uh, in, in its last moments, other than the after credits scene, which to be clear in previous podcast episodes, we have Been very clear that we are pro-Charles dance post-credit sequences, implying that games may or may not begin. Let the
1: games begin.
0: Uh but uh I don't know. Uh we'll talk about later how that after credit sequence was kind of a miss. Uh but that's pretty much it for Godzilla King of the Monsters.
1: One of the coolest things about this movie is actually the end credit sequence, and I'll tell you why, John. Yes. A lot of movies tend to do their world building in the movie. But this movie sets up all of these cool technical, technological advances in the credit scene. All of these ways we could benefit from these huge monsters like Behemoth's Waste restores the, the Amazon waste, uh, Rainforest and like all of these other things. We're setting up this cool, new, futuristic world that I got really excited to explore in a future movie. And since we can't talk about future movies yet, I'm still really excited to see what they do in the next movie with the information that they dumped during this credit sequence.
0: Yes, we got very used to the pre-exposition introductory credit sequence from these movies. However, this introduces... Uh, kind of the the post exposition, which, by the way, fun thing about this. Number one, they actually use a uh, Blue Oyster Cults Godzilla song for this, which rules. It's a first good song. time ever,
1: first time ever in Godzilla history that that song was used.
0: Yeah, I, I appreciate that. It's fun. It's it's cheeky. Uh, one of the articles that was written uh, in that post cred sequence is written by Steve Martin.
1: No, it's a different Steve Martin.
0: Yeah, it's the Steve Martin who is the only American to survive Godzilla's initial attack uh, in the 1954 Godzilla. Steve Martin, a canonical character in the Godzilla universe, not the Steve Martin we might be aware of.
1: Right, yeah, right. I, I knew this. I knew this from the, the, the trivia page on IMDb, but yeah. I'm,
0: I hate that I'm I have to know this through research, but apparently you can just look at a trivia page. I'm sorry, buddy. Um... I'll do that next time. I'll have so much fucking trivia. This
1: is the only time I've ever read trivia. Leave me alone.
0: Hey, I just got to say, Zao has got that lizard juiced.
1: He's got that lizard juiced. And I believe it's time now for our our weekly ranking of these movies.
0: Yes, now is the time where we uh, rank the movies, of course, from worst to best, right? No, we do. Yeah, we do, yeah worst. Yes, you're right. <laughs> yes, the, the one that makes sense. We do worst to best. So if you're okay with it, I'll go first. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to call this John's Godzilla King of the Lists. Yeah. And uh, so worst of the three movies we've seen, right? Three? We've seen three movies. I'm going to say number three with a bullet is actually going to be Godzilla King of the Monsters. Okay. Uh, Okay. uh i don't know it's kind of a toss-up honestly i feel like similar sins uh between the first godzilla and this movie uh, but i feel like this movie actually did more insult than ignorance uh, so for that reason i'll give the second spot to 2014's godzilla and of course number one with a bullet is still kong skull island that movie rips it's so good uh love that movie it's, it's, it's just so good
1: All right. My list is going to be vastly, vastly different from yours. Uh, So for the sake of identifying them both, mine's going to be called uh, Henry's Accurate List of Godzilla Films 2021. Beep, beep, beep. Okay. And uh, the worst movie I'm going to have to say is Godzilla King of the Monsters. Oh, my God. While it's a good uh, monster fighty film – The rest of the movie is very (laughs) tone-deaf.
0: Yes, it's very tone-deaf, and it's people yelling at iPads.
1: Yes. Uh, Number two on this list would be the 2014 Godzilla.
0: Oh, get Uh, the fuck out of town. uh, Because uh, while better
1: than some movies on this list, it's worse than others. And, And that means the number one spot would be Kong Skull Island, which... Reigns as the, the best movie in this particular series, which actually makes me kind of sad. Uh, because a gun to my head, it's Godzilla every time. I don't know why they would make the Kong movie better than
0: both of the Godzilla movies. I mean, if, if the Godzilla movies had a completely unbelievable cast and a pre-visionary director, maybe they could have gone pretty far. I'm the same way. Uh, I say this every day. I wake up in the morning, I say this, fuck King Kong. I think King Kong as a movie is pretty shitty. And I think as a concept is even shittier. I don't like King Kong as a character. It is purely uh, by luck and happenstance, I think. And uh, sheer force of will the Kong Skull Island is as good of a movie it is. Fuck King Kong. Yeah, absolutely. Like the monster sucks. It's just a big ape. It's just a big ape, and oh, what's the movie going to say? Humans were the monster all along. Godzilla was saying that before.
1: Yeah, Godzilla has much more nuance and history
0: behind it, and let's just face it, is cooler. I mean, the movie made by the people who dropped the bomb is not going to be as good as the movie made by the people who were... Who had the bomb dropped on them, uh, period. The movie about humans being monsters, turns out it's going to be better from the people that uh, humans were the most monstrous toward. Right. Yeah.
1: And I guess we'll just have to see how the next movie shakes up our list and our perceptions of these two titans, these two kaiju, even though the movie will never call them
0: kaiju, uh, because I guess Pacific Rim has that trademarked. I don't know what's happening. I'm going to call it, next time you and I meet this Kong versus Godzilla, Godzilla versus Kong movie, I bet it's going to take number one in both of our lists.
1: Yeah, I, I'm going to say it here. Because right now what we have ostensibly are two characters, uh, one with two pretty good movies and one with one really good movie. And putting those two characters in the same movie can only produce good results. That's how math works. That's how math works. Positives plus positives... John, I don't know if you know math, uh, but routinely equal more positives.
0: Yeah, I uh, can't think of instances where that's not the case. Is, ah, uh, never mind.
1: <laughs> uh, but for now, I feel like it's come time to wrap up. My my phone is just going off the hook. Um, it's time to wrap up our discussion about Godzilla King of the Monsters uh, and ultimately say it was much better as a video game than it was a movie on the GameCube.
0: Yes, like many things. Like a uh, lot of lot of 007 movies, GameCube games were better. Also, oh, yeah. just Nintendo games in general were better right. versions of a love of 007. Anyway!
1: Yeah, King Lear is much better on the N64.
0: Oh, dude, you play as uh, Hebrides? I don't know anything about King, <laughs> yeah. King Lear. Uh, If you
1: want to send us your opinions about any of these Godzilla movies during our hot Godzilla summer, you can do so. And here's how. Uh, Send us a tweet on Twitter.com at ZCPCWHJ. And I believe John, for a
0: change, knows what that stands for. Yes, that stands for Fuck King Kong. Fuck Listen, King Kong. we're going into this movie: Kong versus Godzilla, Godzilla versus King Kong. Fuck King Kong. I don't Fuck care. King Kong. Fuck I him. don't care what you think. Listen, we've been introduced to three characters: Great Green Mother, three. We've uh, we've been introduced now in this movie to the 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 triple fellow whose mouth is yellow, and then we were introduced in Kong Skull Island to. To Mr. Mister Brown, who lives downtown. And he's going down. And Godzilla Kong, Kongzilla, going down. Great Green Mother 3. You're here first. Zero credits.
1: Zero credits. Uh, if you have a longer diatribe that you want to send us, please email us. Send us an email, too. Email at zerocredits.net. And don't forget to visit zerocredits.net for all your zero credits needs. Uh, We're also on Spotify if you want to listen to us on uh, like an app. Uh, We're also on Apple Podcasts. And the thing about Apple Podcasts is you can leave a rating and a review. And if you do that, we will love you. We'll love you. Uh, But the most important thing you can do is uh, tell a friend or listen to the podcast. Listen to Zero Credits. We talk about lizards. We talk about apes. We got them all. We got them all. We talk about three-headed dragons from outer space. This is just what we do. This is just who we are. Word of the mouth is the only way we can survive, and you guys have been keeping us alive this entire time, so keep doing that, or else we'll lime. We'll lime. I don't know.
0: And you know, if you really think about it, uh, when Millie Bobby Brown was listening to the Pixies, she was listening, of course, to the most popular Pixies songs, Wave of Mutilation. And if you think about it, aren't humans the real wave of mutilation? And from everyone here, uh, the Zero Credits, Three Heads, Three Children of Godzilla, One King Kong Studios, we would like to wish you a happy week. Fuck
1: King Kong. Fuck
0: King Kong. They
1: would have to give him, like, some type of weapon for him to even stand a chance against Godzilla.
0: Like a gun. king like kong a with gun. a gun king, king kong ain't got nothing on godzilla
1: right absolutely calling it now right here godzilla wins 100 cuts
0: throats <laughs> godzilla wins cuts throats yeah calling it now but for now goodbye everybody goodbye